You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to geeksradio.com or searching Geeks Radio on iTunes. Geeks Radio is a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. Warning, the episode you're about to listen to may include plot spoilers and naughty language, so listener discretion is advised. It's time for Trek Off! Benedict Cumberballs! Welcome to Trek Off. My name is Justin. And my name is Alexia. And today we are talking. <laughs> <laughs> are... I know. We are uh, talking about um, some sad stuff, some su- fun stuff, some uh, discussion about the afterlife in uh, Star Trek. But first, um, Look, I I'm thought... kind of like a Borg. Well, so it's a visual joke, sorry. everybody. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Alexia, I'm got, sorry. <laughs> got these got these fancy pink headphones. Hot and, pink, uh, hot pink. Hot pink, and they have a, a microphone uh, attached to them. She put them over her eye. You don't look like a Borg so much as you look like those headsets that uh, Gul Dukat and Wei had to wear. Oh, okay. Were, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I mean. Yeah. So um, anyway, I was saying earlier that... Um, that I am, uh, my wife got me some lovely sushi for dinner, but of course when I make sushi I have to put it all together. And so I have to put the ginger and the wasabi and the soy sauce and blah, 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 and put it all weird. together. And whenever I do that, I feel like I'm Molly Ringwald in The Breakfast Club. <laughs> of course you do. Because everybody knows that's who eats sushi. <laughs> well, because, all right, so, so like I'm ready to look over and like see, see Amelia West is like drinking like two quarts of milk. You know, yes, and, and like his chips and his like five bags of fucking food. And, and then Judd Nelson is just going to look at you and be like, you couldn't eat that? What, like, was, <laughs> what, what was everybody else eating? Do we remember what everyone else was eating? Um, so Molly Ringwald had the sushi. Yeah. Milo Estevez had like a big like shopping bag yeah. of like food stuff. What did Judd Hirsch um, have? And um, who? It wasn't Judd Hirsch? Was it? Who was Judd Nelson? Judd Nelson. Thank you. I know. He didn't have anything. He didn't have any food. Um, there was a PB and J with the the crusts cut off, uh, oh, yeah. and I think soup. Um, for... I'm having soup too. Oh, okay, but it's not in a thermos. Mm-mm. Um, that was what Brian had. And then, uh, Ali Sheedy's character, I think, has, like, two pieces of bread, some Cap'n Crunch, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She pours the Cap'n Crunch on top, and then... And, and then, then, like, and, then, and the and the, the sugar from, um, what are they called? The Pixie Sticks. Yes, 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 yes. You see, that's, that's screenwriting right there. That's someone paying <laughs> right? attention to deal. John Hughes, rest in peace. You're awesome. Yes, um, totally. So speaking of rest in peace, um, uh, I am gonna bring down the show, actually, um, okay. because I read I read something today that bummed me out. Um, I you never got a chance to go see the Star Trek experience. I did not. Um, um, I did, uh, and it was basically it was run by the same people that ran um, the Romulan gig that I did by Paramount Parks. Um, so same company, same everything. So I not only went to go see it and enjoyed being there, but I felt a real kinship 
with the people who were there because they were doing the same job I was doing for the same company, doing like it was just somewhere else. Sure. And when and when the experience first started, um, they first like talked to people at the parks and saw how many people wanted to go. Not not that many people ended up going from other Paramount parks, but the the offer was kind of there and it was kind of out uh, in the ether that if we really pushed, maybe we could, if we were willing to move to Vegas, be part of the experience. Um, and I never did, of course. Uh, but um, I did go years later. I've been there twice, and the most uh, the most famous face of the Star Trek experience, the guy who was up on all the posters and he was all over Las Vegas, was a Klingon with long, straight, like silky white hair, um, and sort of a like a not just your typical Klingon warrior costume, but like something that like one of the upper crust of the Klingon elite would be wearing. Okay. Um, and uh, the actor's name was Tom Dyshley. Wow. Now, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, as everyone knows, the experience did close. And there's a, I wish I could remember um, the name of the documentary. We talked about it once, where they, they charted the experience and the experience of closing it and, and what the people and the actors went through. And I really not only got to meet him there in his character, but I got to feel like, you know when you watch a documentary and you feel like you get to know someone? Sure. Cause, yeah, because you get sort of behind the scenes, you get their more emotional moments. Um, uh, I don't want to go into exactly how it happened, but he died very, very suddenly uh, this week. Um, and uh, in unpleasant circumstances. Uh, and instead of focusing on how much it sucks and the fragility of human life, um, I want to talk about uh, how cool it is that this guy... Uh, carried the flame for so much. This guy probably played a Klingon. You know, the, in the last podcast we did, I made the brash uh, comment that <laughs> I played a Romulan more than Longer anyone than else anybody ever. Else. Yeah. Um, I then occurred to me that there was someone in my third year who had done it for two years um, and into the fall where I always had to stop halfway through the fall. So there was a, a woman out there named Heather who maybe did it longer than I did. She and I ended up playing husband and wife in the third, uh, the third season. She was Mara Rateb. Interesting. Um, That's uh, something we've never really talked about, like the what? marriage rights of like other races. I think like, you don't I know. have no idea what what that's like for the Romulans. I don't. I don't either. Um, we we were both married. We walked around holding hands, and then going walk, holding hands, being very lovey dovey, then walking over to park guests and talking about assassinating the other one. <laughs> so you just assumed that we did. Was, we we did. We did like a with their personal relationship. Yes. Yes. So we did. We did a Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, and it was pretty. It was pretty great. It was pretty fun. Interesting. I mean, um, so you don't think there's anything in the Romulans that's like, because I oh, remember I, I liked the how the Spock thing. You know, not Spock's parents like Vulcans. The way they kind of show affection is very different. Yeah. Um. You know, I I think that there are plenty of nice Romulans. I just think they're not; those would be, wouldn't be fun to watch, so they never get camera time. So I'm <laughs> sure, ju I'm sure, just off off screen. Right, but I mean, like culturally, like what does it look like? Because you said you guys like went around holding hands, and like that's what we would do, right? Like humans. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what but do I, I? That's one of those th those little touches so you, that I always you, liked in Star Trek is how, like, for the you know, for instance, for Vulcans, like they don't go around holding hands and smooching in public and, you know, the kind of the stuff that we do. They have very sort of specific ways they interact with each other in public. 
Uh, and even they in private, that, it's different. They do that know? like two finger Yeah, the touching. two finger touching thing, which I think is so interesting. It sounds much grosser. I know when you put it that way, that two finger touch. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this guy, Mr. Deichling, I, I, I don't even want to call him Tom. Um, you know, when we think of the person who's played a Star Trek character for the longest, um, that would have to be Michael Dorn, right? I mean, Michael Dorn was... Yeah, he was set, on... Seven seasons of Next Gen, yep. and, and four seasons four of DS9, and movies four, in between, and four movies. Yeah. So, so in terms of the amount of days spent on set, it would be him. But this guy, you know, had to wake up in the morning, and do it eight hours a day, staying in character, um, not just his scene that he might have to do, you know, this week or that week. Um, and I know how much time, you know, I've spent enough time on movie sets to know that if you're playing a character, like, so like on Ninjas vs. Monsters, like, like you figure pretty prominently in the film. You've, you've, the film's 90 minutes long. You've got like 11 of those minutes feature you. Um, right. And yet, and yet you were only on set for like two, three days. So mm -hmm. when we look at Michael Dorn, you know, you, we can say he did the Klingon thing for all those days, but there are probably weeks he was on set for like a day. Um... So this guy, Mr. Dyshley, was there the way, every day. Every right? day, in character, hours at a time, interacting with people, crafting his character. Um, and for a lot of people, the ability to meet a Klingon, especially to fans, the people who went through, when they met him and his face is all over everything, that's uh, that's pretty spectacular. That's a that's an impact yeah. that this guy made. Um, and he will never get. You know that when 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 Michael Dorn dies or when Patrick Stewart dies, there will be a, a write up on Google News. You know what I mean? There'll yeah. Be like like there will be a thing going. Look how awesome they were. Um, but I would say that uh, for core Star Trek fans, I would say probably 50, 60 percent of us went to the experience at one point. And this guy interacted and was the sole experience for a lot of them for interacting with a Klingon. And and. This guy had this sort of unsung life that we that that the majority of people wouldn't even know about. So I want to take this moment to celebrate someone who gave to Trek and to a lot of Trek fans that that you never got to know the guy behind the makeup. So, I yeah I didn't know any yeah. of that, and I'm yeah. I'm super sad that that he's gone, and I'm I'm glad that. He got to touch so many people's lives, and um, I wish I'd had a chance to see him be an awesome Klingon. He was doing Shakespeare stuff uh, uh, at the end, and and there are pictures of him, I think, playing like King Lear. That um, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, I, you know, I almost if we were, you know, sometimes as you know, we do we record double episodes, and we're not gonna have time to do that tonight. But the other thing I it it inspired me to do was to go look and look at the theatrical and TV resumes of all the main Star Trek actors and see what else they do. Because I, I feel like it's, you know, no. we were just talking about this earlier today because we watched an episode of Once Upon a Time with Robert Carlyle, mm -hmm. and um and I just love him, and you can just tell like so somebody at when we were at um in Georgia. On the Farragut sets again, there was there was there was there was a guy there who was telling us about this commercial for Johnny Walker that Robert Carlyle had done that I was like a little blown away by. So we looked it up finally, and it's like a six-minute-long commercial that is all one continuous take 
of Robert Carlyle telling this Johnny Walker story. And it's like a, it's a great story. I had no idea. I mean, I'm not really into whiskey, but I had no idea that like the sort of roots of that. And it's like he has props that he has inter to interact with along the way. He's walking at a pretty good clip. <laughs> like it's just it's good. And it makes you go like you can just tell that's a, that's a real talented actor. You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like it's a lot of actors, it's easier to do film. You know what I mean? You don't have to memorize an entire play. You don't, you know what I mean? You can do it in little chunks and bits and pieces. You fuck up, you just redo it. Like, it's harder to do theater. It just is. And I think that what you see then is with stuff like Once Upon a Time that's dealing with fantastical stuff and things like Star Trek when you're dealing with these you know, sci-fi ideas and, you know, words and concepts and some shit that isn't even real and aliens and stuff. You know what I mean? I think you wind up with a bigger percentage that are actually, you know, trained theater actors and not just film actors. And the ones that would be just good on film, you can tell they don't, they, they don't have the same caliber. Right. Like There's, Patrick Stewart. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I There's a lot of Royal Shakespeare people who end up in Star Trek. Exactly, and I think there's a reason for that. Like, you have to, you know what I mean? You got to have all that that training and talent behind you, you know, to really pull it off. Well, you know, one of the things I'm proud of um, regarding the films, regarding monsters and stuff, and, and, and the other films, is that people have said, how did you find actors who did so well? Um, and I drew from the theater. I mean, l look at how I met you. I met you basically as an extra on, on Zombies. And I knew you, and you were nice, and you know, I, you know, you were probably one of my favorite extras, but you're one of the extras. But then you did a Moliere play. What play was it? Um, Tartuffe. Tartuffe, and blew me out. Just blew me away. I would, well, first you blew my mom away. My mom saw it. She's like, <laughs> "You gotta go see it." Alexia's so good. I was like, "Alexia does theater." <laughs> um, <laughs> and and immediately. It was after that show that I talked to you, and I I think it was after that show, I was like, I want you to come do a Star Trek podcast with me, and <laughs> I want you to be in Monsters, and I want you to be in everything, and I think, like, that's, like, like because you see something when someone's on a stage that a lot of times, you know, when you're on film, you just don't get a chance to, to see what they can do, and I think if somebody can do a really good job on a stage or in person, you know, the kind of work that he did... Yeah, like where you, think, you have to be on all the time yeah, in a situation you, like that, and there's no breaking, and there's a commitment there. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what it speaks to, like a a level of commitment that that those people have that, you know, I don't think you necessarily need that level to just do, you know, the odd film thing here and there. Which is not to, I don't want to slam film actors. No, I don't either. I'm not saying that they're not any good, <laughs> like, to be clear. Um, I just think that there's a diff, it's a different skill yeah, set I, in a lot of cases. I, I, I think there is a reason that, you know, Patrick Stewart, Avery Brooks, and the Bacula, and Kate Mulgrew, and William Shatner, all yeah. say, when I was done with Star Trek, I went back to the theater. Yes. That's, every single one of them said, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, because it's and, more like yeah. that, I feel, because you have to really, like, just give yourself over to it entirely. Like, I was, so I took a, a, I've been taking, I mean, I haven't started yet. I had the first one last night, a, a class that I've been taking. And, um, you know, one of the, the people did, like, a monologue, and they did a Shakespeare monologue. And one I actually didn't know, I didn't know uh, The Tempest before. <clears throat> like, oh I'd heard gosh, of it, and I knew, did... 
and I knew who Prospero was. The, the, the big like old, his, the, the big, yeah, like fat the big Prospero fat monologue. Prospero oh, monologue at the end, and um, it was so interesting because I didn't know much about it. So I'm like asking, and I'm like, is, so wait, he's like a wizard, like legit, like with magics, and like, and the guy at one point I think he had been concerned that you know he was overacting because he was a nun's like we like I think the teacher had him like enunciate a lot and I totally know what he means because like I sort of have my opinions on Shakespeare where I think some people will get Shakespeare and and instead of being a person um, they'll have this language so they'll just kind of be poetry readers you know what I mean you know what I mean mm-hmm. you know the people I'm talking about Yep. So, like, I was all on board with him to be like, I don't want to overact this. I don't, you know, want to be a real person. But then at the same time, I was like, but this guy isn't a real person. Like, he's not just some dude. He's a fucking wizard. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you well, can get away with that shit. Like that, and that's what I mean by commitment. Like, if, if you're going to be a fucking wizard or you're going to be a fucking starship captain out in fucking space, like... There's a gravitas there. You know what I mean? There's like a, you're not just a regular guy anymore, but you have to have the humanity underpinnings. Like you, yeah, you I think, that, I think the but... masters, I think that the people who are really good, um, uh, and even down to people like, like Tom Dishley, um, is that, uh, when I was in, in high school, you didn't hear a lot about black box theater. Really when I, really in the mid nineties, I started hearing a lot more about it. Um, and it's the people who can, be on a big stage and do the enunciation, but can also can be five inches from your face and and also give you that. So when you talk about people like him or Michael Dorn, for instance, who has to enunciate absolutely everything or you want to understand what he's saying. Yeah. Um, or, or, or even you have to think about um, Armin Shimmerman, who has to talk around those around teeth. Around those teeth, um, yeah. And yet you never, it never occurs to you he's got those teeth in. No, like, like you can understand. No, he just he does, does it like it's just normal. And you, you believe know? him, and you believe. And you believe him, him. and you believe he's a he's a fucking Ferengi. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's just you really. That's why I think Star Trek was always one of the ones that appealed the most to me. Is you know, like I said, my whole life, all I ever wanted to do is you know, be an actor, go into space. Um, and of those two, being a woman. Being an actor, uh, as ridiculous as it sounded, was a lot more accessible than going into space. So, um. I but I always preferred Star Trek because a I could pretend to be in space and b it was that that level of pretend right mm-hmm. like you're in this place that isn't really real but it's kind of you know like you could imagine it's real and you get to be these fantastical people like I just I love that I find it so intriguing. One of the things that is the most this is my segue in this fun. <laughs> One of the things that I find most intriguing about Star Trek. Um, and one of the things that, that I got inspired to think about when I, wa- when I, I was following the story of Mr. Dishley. Um, and on his Facebook page, there's so many, like, like, I hope you died in glorious battle. May you join the fallen warriors of Stovacor. Like, that's like, there's a ton of that. And I don't know how he felt about Star Trek. For all I know, he, he would be looking at this going, really? Like, really? Yes. Like, I hope like, not. I hope not. Um, but whether or not he was, it got me thinking about this concept of the afterlife in Star Trek. Um, which, for a show that Roddenberry called straight out as going, this show is an atheist show. 
there's like we don't believe in silly things like gods anymore. Um, there's a heck of a lot about the afterlife in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, uh, so I just wanted to get your opinions, uh, my dear co-host, um, <laughs> and I want to make sure we save enough time at the end that I can also uh, hear about your trip because I want to hear about that too. Because you went back to somewhere we love without me. That's um, not my father. Yeah, you knew no, where it I, was. I knew it was. <laughs> what, was your car broken? Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? What were you doing? Um, what were you doing? Uh, and that's stuff or whatever. The, uh, the afterlife in Star Trek. You would imagine that, that especially the way that, that Roddenberry really called out the show at first. He was like, you know, there's we've gotten past silly things and superstitions like that. Like human um, beings have. Yeah. Um, but yet, uh, Captain Sisko says that he, he has a faith. He doesn't explain what it is, but he does say there are things that I believe. Um, I don't know, does Kirk have, a, have an experience? With, I mean, you know Kirk better than me, so does Kirk have any I mean, experience? I feel like they really, they, they don't talk about people, religion, like human beings, religion very much. It's just not there. You know what I mean? And I think it's the difference between, like, having a spirituality and having, like, faith in, like, God in particular and that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Do you even get the sense that he has a spirituality or is he a scientist? Like, um, I guess, I don't know. I feel like he, there are times when they really, like, he seems to just sort of have faith in something. You know what I mean? Like, some of the shit that they do, like... If you were looking at it by the numbers and the books and the the science, like that shit ain't gonna work out. <laughs> so clearly, he's got some kind of faith or spirituality or something going on that that he thinks they, you know what I mean, that they can beat the science in a lot so of I, circumstances. So I guess the best example of um, best two examples of the original series God characters would a be Trelane, who is essentially a Q. Right. Um, and is actually in one of the books called out to be Q's son. Oh, um, is he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but in, as I recall, he has a bunch of stuff that he uses. Like, they're actual machines, but I guess the machines aren't for, like, if I, I can't, I'm trying to remember. I know the machines did something, but I guess they weren't the end-all, be-all. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cybok takes Kirk to see God. To in see Star Trek God, Earth. yeah. What does God need with the starship? What right? did I, I forget what that creature ended up being. The end of that movie is just once the fan dance happens, I'm just I'm done. Oh um, stop it. <laughs> what does what is that what I does don't God remember. end up being yeah. I think some alien being powerful but like I guess exiled or in some other way relegated to where he was. Um so he was it certainly wasn't God. <laughs> um uh, so there's not really a sense of the afterlife um, for Kirk. When Kirk dies, he's dead. Um, unless you read the Star Trek novels, in which case you can be reincarnated, which is interesting. If you can be re whenever somebody is reincarnated on Star Trek, somehow they keep their consciousness from before. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so when Kirk's body is brought back to life in the in the books, uh, of course he remembers everything he was and blah blah blah. Um, hmm. I, I'm uh, not familiar with that. I don't read the. I haven't read a lot of the books. I think I read one. Um, for Picard, um, there's an episode uh called Tapestry, 
uh, where yes. Picard dies, and when he dies, Q is there. Mm -hmm. um, and the big question at the end of the episode is, was Picard having a hallucination where he dreamed, or did Q actually Did Q actually him? show up, or was there something else yeah. going on? Um, you know, was, is Q able to travel into an afterlife? And I felt, when the episode was done, that what Q is kind of definitively saying, because Q says, you know, he calls himself God, which I think is Q being silly, but he right. does say, I don't want you joining me, running around in the afterlife. There are ghosts there that have things they want to say to Picard, which means that, that other people have, are in the afterlife that want to talk to him, right. um, which, which indicates uh, if that episode is not a dream, that Next Gen, Next Gen is saying that, yes, there is an afterlife. Either there, either it's a dream or there is an afterlife. Thoughts? Well, I think there's three options. Either it's a dream, it's the afterlife, or it's Q. Q's just messing around? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, those are all valid. Um, and I think that they, they purposely... Except the one thing Q doesn't do, the one thing Q doesn't do is lie. And he did say, we're going to be gallivanting through time. When and, does Q never lie? When does Q lie? What lie does Q tell? The one thing Q is, Q's mischievous. Q changes his mind about what he's going to do, but he doesn't present you with facts that end up not being true. I mean... Like, even in the final episode, Picard asks him straight questions, and Q, you know, Q will tell him the, the straight answer, um, but the straight answer doesn't matter because Q can do what he wants. But I never got the sense that Q was. was I mean, I guess it doesn't. It guess it doesn't feel like. I guess it doesn't occur to me that if it was Q, that he's quote unquote lying. Like you said, he's being silly, and I think he absolutely has the power to have given Picard another chance. Like, because clearly, being Q, like it does. There's no need for you know time and space and all that stuff is not as linear yeah. as we think, you know what I mean? So it's I just a dirt road somewhere. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I certainly feel like it's within his power to do the stuff that gets done in the episode. Um, and I don't see in any way that he lies, per se, as, as just fucking with him. So that's what I mean. Like, I don't know that he tells him a direct lie. Like, he... So Probably did die, right? Like they brought it, they got him back. Like they, they pretty much seem to state that they lose him. Or, or what he, or you know, the scientific answer is he, as the neurons in his brain started firing, these are the right, visions he, he was seeing. Right, that he had a vision of something, and yeah. he being an all-powerful type being to him, wound up the sort of figure in that representing yeah. that, um, or like the other possibility that there was actually some, like we, like you said, like some actual afterlife, and Q wasn't actually Q, but again, sort of took that form, and that was his perception, right, because that's his experience. Um, so I don't know, but I like, I like that they don't make, they don't actually make a claim. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, it's in, true in, to Star in, Trek in the sense that, like, it's about asking questions and, and, you know, bringing up points and having you consider things like the tapestry of your life, for instance, along with, you know, faith and what might lie beyond and, and if 
You know what I mean? Like, I think it's about asking and, and generating questions, not necessarily about giving answers. Um, in Next Gen is the first time you have a character who clearly has a faith relationship with a god and a Jesus figure, um, and that's Worf. Um, Worf believes in an afterlife. He believes in a heaven. He believes in a hell. He believes in a god. He believes in a Christ, in this case, Kalos. Um he believes in uh, the Kalos will return. He believes the Kalos appeared to him in a vision. He, he, like, he doesn't just believe that this is part of his culture, but he believes these things to be true. Um, and I thought it was very interesting how they handled, um, how they handled the both on DS9, which we'll get to. Um, well, I think that you see a lot more of it. Except that you do see, K I mean, the Kaless clone and the belief in Kaless and him teaching the other Klingons. A lot of it does happen in uh, in, I, in next gen. I feel like a lot of it is taking is taken from Norse mythology. It seems like what yeah, it, it feels very Norse like. Like like Stovakor is Valhalla. Is and Valhalla? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems very much like that. Um, and we actually because get a their culture is very Norse like when you think about it. You yeah. know, Klingons in general. We get a sense of what that would look like on Voyager. There's an episode called Barge of the Dead where Balana is is dying or dead, and she believes okay. she's dead, and she is seeing visions of her mother and, and people who are entering. I forget what it was called, but it was like where the dishonored dead. Right. Um, and so even then, there's like a bunch of like sullen, not-so-violent. Like Honestly, between the two, I would probably rather be where the Barge of the Dead is going. Like, because it's like all the all the wimpy Klingons have gone have gone on the barge of the dead, and they were just gloomy. They were just like, oh, we're we're in the stupid barge. We don't we don't have honor. How do you get into Stovacor? That's that blows me away. Is is the that's the one? And I guess you know, look, you and I have talked. I'm a I'm a guy who I'm a Jesus guy. Um, and I'm sure there are people who aren't that go, yeah, but your faith it really doesn't make a lot of sense too sometimes and and then I'd have to argue with them for a long long time about it um but <laughs> um, but in terms of like Stovacor, like you get in seems like sometimes you get in by being honorable through your life but if you die in a way that is an accident that you don't like if your death is not considered yeah, like it doesn't really matter how honorable you were like yeah it's too damn bad. <laughs> but people can go and do something for you. Um, that 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 I guess we can keep staying on Stovacor. In Deep Space Nine, there's um, spoiler alert. Uh, Jadzia Dax dies, um, and Dax was <sighs> married to Worf. And uh, in the season after she died, Worf said that her death was not honorable enough to get her into Stovacor. So Worf and uh, and Cisco and Quark and Julian join uh, join Martok on a big quest to do some amazing things, kill a bunch of Jem'Hadar in her name, which will get her into. It's very, it's very um, hard to figure out like what you need to do to get to Stovacor. Well, um, I'm pretty sure if you, it seems clear that if you are honorable and die in battle, like you're Stovacor bound. Right. So. But what is even the definition of dying in battle? I mean, I mean, like the people who die on Klingon ships that blow up, 
Yeah, like the they died honorably. They go to Stovacor. Yeah, but what about what about the what about the engineer who was working on the engine when that happened? He wasn't battling. There was a battle I going on. They were on. all part of the ship. I, w I would think in that circumstance, it seems like they're all contributing to the ship, which is battling, right? So, so let me let me just call out exactly what I mean. I think the idea that Jadzia would not be in Stovacor is bullshit. Um, she was killed. She was attacked and killed. She died violently at the hands of someone with whom she and her people are at war. Um, like, like I don't see how. Yeah, just but didn't they just come out of nowhere and kill her? Like she didn't have a chance to even fight. Um, I mean, she she saw him. I mean, she said something, and he was more powerful than she was. But uh, that's like, all I'm saying. Like, what it occurs to me as like whether or not. The, I mean, it seems like it was obviously an opportunity for a storyline. Um, but at the same sure, time, this is this is all fiction, right? But, but at the same time, I think that what makes sense in terms of that as a storyline is that from from Worf's perspective, he wasn't certain that yeah. she that it was enough. And if this is a person that you love and you want to guarantee that they get into heaven, you know what I mean? Like we're a, you know a Jesus person, like. If there was something that you could do, even if yeah. you felt like they probably were headed there anyway, like chances were good, but would you really want to risk that if you knew there was something you could do that would guarantee it? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's how it occurred to me anyway, not that it was necessarily like, oh, no, that shit wasn't good enough for Stovacor, but like, I mean, because she, she's not Klingon, like, it doesn't even necessarily make sense that she would go to Stovacor. Well, they, and they even called that out in the episode. They're like, they're like, you know, she has her own beliefs, which we never see. Right. Um, so, but like, this is clearly it's something that Worf needs to do to be able to feel good that he's done everything he could have done for the woman that he loved. That's what it occurred to me as. Now, I never want to make fun of anybody's beliefs, but the but. Ferengi, <laughs> but. the Ferengi, um, I love their heaven. I love the idea that like you have to bribe the guy and you need to like plead to the oldest Nagus and like 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 it and, and how much money you've been how greedy you've been it's just it was it was so funny and it's such a commentary I guess it could be considered a commentary on religion to go you know whatever your morality is even if it disagrees with conventional morality I thought it was really funny and we get a sense of it now it's called out that Cork is dreaming but they have Nog as the Nagus as an ancient Nagus telling him he has to make bribes but I mean that blew me away and the the, the great material continuum that you joined. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's pretty great. And there, see, there seems to be um, sort of a pope-like pope -like status to the uh, to the Nagus, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I would say that's true, because like, he's the, the one who has the most greed and the most business knowledge, if you will, right? Which is the stuff that they value. And yet he makes philosophical decrees and you have to follow him. Sure. So if he, if he turns around and goes, don't be greedy, you have to until he is replaced. Right, um, but then you would replace him. <laughs> which happened. I mean, that was a whole plot that that, that yeah. happened to him. Um, let's talk really quickly about what uh, about what the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta believe, because that's really interesting. Um, they believe uh, that... I don't know if we talked that much about their afterlife as much as we discuss the fact that they believe the founders are gods. Right. Um, and that's an interesting thing because they can they also have to work with 
and and experience the personalities. Uh, it's almost like the Greek gods, where the gods came down and hung out with people. Right. <laughs> so so like, and they were kind of shitty sometimes. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, I I think one of the things that was interesting is I started to feel by the end of Deep Space Nine that there's this little thing happening, and I it, I mean I gotta I gotta imagine on the show everything is deliberate, but I think you see Wayun loses faith on the show. Because when he meets Odo, he's like, "You're a god," it's a, and and he's every he believes everything is uh is is absolutely true. And you even see uh this this conversation that he has with Dukat at one point, where Dukat looks at him and goes, uh, when he goes, "These Bajorans and their stupid superstitions and their and their gods," and you have uh Dukat turn around and go, "Well, you believe the founders are gods," and Wayun mm. goes, "That's different. The founders <laughs> are gods. The founders are gods." <laughs> um, <laughs> But by the end of Deep Space Nine, I mean, you notice how he's like manipulating Odo and second guessing the female change. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. Like where he's definitely less certain that they are the, you know, the gods he thought them to be. Like perhaps it's clear that they're still powerful or and you know, of import. But whether they're they're actually gods, it might be less. You know what I mean? Well, and there's even a discussion where where they try and convince some Jem'Hadar that that they only believe that the founders are gods because they've been programmed to believe the founders are gods. And the Jem'Hadar's answers are, of course, that's what gods do. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's yeah. real. It's, it's really a fascinating. Um, I don't think you ever get a sense of an afterlife, do you? I mean, is there a? I, yeah, no, I don't like, especially since we are theoretically in that case. Uh, rather intimately familiar with their gods, and they, you know, basically are a part of a pile of goo on another planet somewhere. Um, they aren't building an afterlife, you know what I mean? And they've created this race. So I guess in that sense, like if if what makes you a god, like not to be, you know, that's not, not to be speaking heresy or anything, but like that isn't that theoretically then like the idea of what makes you God or a God is that you've created a race of people, like you've created people. So yeah. like they've done that. So in that perspective, I guess they kind of are gods. I know it's weird, but that's not a spiritual thing. You know what I mean? Like that's a technical thing. And, and <laughs> They're they, technically and they, gods, <laughs> and they want and they want to be considered gods because that makes them more effective dictators. Right. Um, it's fascinating. Um, so like I guess if we as people like uh, you know advance us like in you know even in, I guess in the storyline of of Star Trek when we were like playing around with genes and making superhumans, um, if we created that then we would be gods, technically. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's dangerous territory, right? <laughs> so, what is that? That's a train. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's a train, everybody. We have trains. <laughs> chicka, 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 Thomas, the tank. Um, so, that's my story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have um, a train that goes through town. I like um, it. I... I think that the most blatant use of gods, um, where it is abs like like the Klingon thing, you're not sure if it's real, maybe, and and the the Jemitar that's it's philosophical whether or not they are gods, but then you have the prophets, um, 
And you've got the Bajorans. Um, and it's very interesting because the prophets, in what way are they not God? Like, they're called wormhole aliens. The Federation calls them wormhole aliens. Mm-hmm. But they absolutely exist out of time. They seem to be omnipotent. Um, they appear, they care about the, the like what happens on Bajor, but they're very kind of ambiguous about how they deal with them. They can be... You know, you can plead with them, and sometimes they'll change their mind. You can, you know, they they. Spoiler alert: They Ben Cisco is part prophet. Uh, ben Cisco perishes in fire, and yet his soul remains with them, and he can come back at some point if he chose so choose. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they appear there. There are devils. There are paw wraiths that that will battle for. I mean, it's it's all like they're they're pretty much gods, aren't they? I mean. I guess. I mean, that's the thing. When you really look at, like, religion, if you if you expand that out to, like, because there are episodes, certainly, in, in Star Trek where they go to a planet and somebody, like, there's one, I was just, I think it's, I think it's in Next Gen, um, I feel like, where they go to a planet and, and uh, there's a being that claims to be their devil, right? Yeah, Ardra, um, Ardra, when it was all, like, right. ship and, and holograms and stuff. Right. So, like, if you expand your understanding and it's like, okay, now there's the whole universe out there and there are beings that we don't understand and that have power and, you know what I mean, that to us are godlike, you know what I mean? Like that that's how that sort of occurs, like with the prophets, right? Like they took a, a shine to the Bajorans, you know what I mean? But and they're beings like anyone else, except that we don't really understand them or how powerful like I mean, I don't know how many times in like the original series there would just be somebody ridiculously powerful and then like they would just peace out and be like, Yeah, you're really not ready to understand us. But it's yeah, cool. No, that, you guys are you guys happens. show some hope and promise. You know what I mean? So that could be God. You know what I, I guess mean? The like, difference is, is is when you exist outside of time, when you take a shine to the Bajorans, that means you've taken a shine to the Bajorans from the beginning to the end of their existence. Like sure. you you know, they they you are and ha- you are the Alpha and the Omega. And you can appear to and, and they appear to people in orbs and sort of whispers into their brains and their thoughts, and you pray to them and they and and they you know, perform giant, you know, Old Testament type miracles sometimes. Right. And then, so, and so then you could do that on any planet. Well, and that's you know. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't really exist inside, you know, time and space, sort of as we understand it, and that would make him able to accomplish things that we would think of as being quite fantastical, like that. So if he chose to. Quite. Do we get a sense of? what happens to Bajorans when they die. Because I don't get... like they Are they there hanging out with the prophets? But I didn't. I never get the sense that like there is a Bajoran mm-hmm. heaven. And That's yet, what I'm saying. Like they, they seem to pray to the prophets and they seem to believe in the prophets and all that stuff, but like... And Kira prayed for Baryl, so after Baryl was dead. So but, there's but something... Like, yeah. yeah, they don't... Is he floating around? Is he, yeah. you know... Is his paw out there hanging out? That's true. Yeah, there is the sense of the paw, the soul. 
like continues. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's a fascinating. Thought. I mean, the Bajorans. I think that honestly, Gene Roddenberry would have hated Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I, I think that that the fact is is there is a Judeo-Christian God versus the devil um, storyline happening on that show, and 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 Roddenberry would be like, what, what, what? Um, he would not. He would not be all for that because he wanted it to be sciency, but. I think the interesting thing, thing about that show is that show has um, has discussion of God and faith, and not just hey we all you know we believe something because sociologically they go you know what if God is real, and what would you do for him, and what if somebody else believes their God is real, and then those ideologies come into conflict. I mean it's 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 really very. I mean, are there any any other major like okay oh wait there is one other afterlife thing uh, the Vulcans. Yeah. Um. Their Katra continues to exist after they die. Mm -hmm. And in the new movie, in Star Trek 2009, they mention where all the Vulcan elders are. They're in the Katric Ark, which has all these giant statues of the, all the knowledge and history of their people, blah, blah, blah. And it's called the Katric Ark. And I wondered, is this like the reservoir for where Katras would go? I don't know. Maybe. Like there's a sense that, that like that, I mean it's that, clear that they they that his Katra like in the original movies you know like 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 they're not like not all Vulcan Katras are supposed to go into McCoy like there is there is no, a destination right, but, but, that, but clearly but that was the thing like initially if I recall correctly um like it was like his Katra like if he was gonna die like he would have given that shit to his best friend. Like whoever bring, that was to bring to back bring home. Back. Yes. But if there weren't if there weren't an empty body for Spock's Katra, would it have gone? What to would the they? Katra yeah, that, I don't know what they would have done at that point. Like, like I, do that, they do they become like the paintings of old headmasters in Harry Potter? Like mm -hmm. where where there's like this sort of ghostly version of them that exists that you can like mind meld with the wall and talk to and old talk dead to Vulcans them if you or want, or just partake of their wisdom, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, like where it's sort of like a, a knowledge repository, if you will. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because there's absolutely an afterlife to the Vulcans, and it's yeah, not. Yeah, there's a spirituality there. There's a there's a continuation beyond death, and there's ritual involved in it. And here's the question: Is it a spirituality, or is it just a scientific fact of their existence? Because in their case, there is an afterlife. There is not a sense of belief or a god like none of that. No, there thing. isn't. Yeah, it's it's within it is, them. It's like this is this is our yeah. essence here, and this is what we do with the essence when when the the shell, you know, has finished. And it's will. been scientifically proven. You can scientifically prove that that is the case, because right. Spock's Katra was held somewhere else and then returned. Like it and absolutely. And they played back in, and there was a you know that doesn't happen very often because obviously yeah. there's not a lot of call for that. <laughs> um. It's uh, it's I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating, it's a, just a fascinating look at 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 an afterlife without spirituality is 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 a fascinating concept to go to go. It's not a spiritual thing. It's it's logical. It's logical. We know that this is where our essence goes, so this is what we must do for this to happen. That's logic follows that you would do such and such. There's not like a a belief structure centered around it. It's just like this is what you have to do. Um, right. which is which is. A wonderful like creation in terms of, of storytelling, something that I have not seen anywhere else. Um, I guess the one other thing we 
we can talk about is uh, they've. T I was watching an episode of Voyager and they talked about Afterlife of the Borg, um, where Seven was saying uh, when she was afraid that she was going to die, um, one of the things that she said bothered her. Um, hello. You're like great. So what I'm seeing on the thing is like she's clearly looking at someone who's not me and wriggling around on the couch. And which, um, uh, the dog. No idea. Oh, no idea what I'm saying. She's like blah blah blah. I was totally listening. Yeah, you mentioned Voyager. She just checks right out. It's like, I know, okay, I'm no. like, oh, he's gonna talk about Voyager. Blah blah blah. Ooh, someone pregnant. Is someone pregnant. Yeah. Somebody having a baby again. Blah blah blah. Lady um, would be good. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a you, that's, Lay that's, down not a, and be good. that's not appropriate. Um, Sorry, um, the dog being cute, okay, but she was like doing the thing where she <laughs> starts to like burrow into stuff, and I was like, stop doing that, it's distracting. <laughs> um, I the one of the things that Seven said is she said that um, since there is no individuality, but you still have a sense of what's going on when you're a drone, you get the sense that whatever is your essence is part of the collective, and if you die. Mm -hmm. Then, then that's okay because whoever you are and what you are, you're not afraid of what happens next because your whatever it is that is you continues on in the collective in the after collective. you die. Um, but then she was saying since she has been separated from the collective, she was scared of death because none of her experiences would, would have continue mattered. on. Yeah, that, like it's their point. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think again an interesting thing. Oh, and that more Voyager stuff. And then there's uh, there's Chakotay. Who believes something? Fucking star man. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Chicote. Um, uh, make a cliche. <laughs> I know he believes whatever he believes this week that is convenient to the plot. Um, <laughs> uh, is there anything that we haven't hit? I mean, does Enterprise talk about? Enterprise doesn't really talk about it all that much, does it? Um, I don't get the sense that there was a lot of spiritual discussion on Enterprise. I can't think of a character there. I think it would have been really interesting to see a character that followed a traditional belief structure, um, like one that we could recognize on Star Trek. Um, so one of the things I really dug about Firefly is there was a guy who was a, who was a Christian mm -hmm. on Firefly, hundreds of years in the future. It was a very unpopular, like people thought that, that nobody on that ship subscribed to what he was, he was thinking. What he was, what he was talking, doing. yeah. And I think it would have been very interesting, you know, to have a Christian or to have a Muslim. You know what I mean? And to have—I don't know. I—I I think I. I mean, I guess I don't know that I need to be on board with Roddenberry being atheist, and that it should be a, you know. But it—it it does occur to me in a lot of ways that the sort of people, just based on our culture as I know it now, that would be for going into space and exploring, don't really occur as really religious people. Like but when scientific people tend to be a little bit more prone to atheism and they tend and, you know what I mean? And, and when a you're, lot when of the stuff like of religion like God and Jesus and stuff is it directly refutes this idea that there could be life anywhere else but here. So um, I, I just feel like it's a natural progression of that. I w I'm with you for the for the original series, right? Because they're creating six other characters and really they're only creating three characters. One of them's not human. So who knows what the hell Chekhov believes because you never spend enough time with him to find out. But I guess my point is when you've had five series with seven characters each and you've had 35 characters, that one of them as an interesting thing, you know, something more interesting than, you know, I was, you know, 
my parents used to run a shipping ship. You know, that's like all they gave Travis was my character, my, my parents, like, like someone who was out there whose beliefs were not, and, and they did it, you know, they, they had the character on MASH that that was the case. I just think it would have been an interesting. What I'm saying is how would that work? What that, like, like if we're building real people, right, and it's obvious and clear at this point that there is life beyond our planet. Like, um, at some point, as we uh, continue okay, as to, a, to as progress a, as, a, as a species, I think that what would happen, whether or not religion would, like, go away, would absolutely evolve into something else that wouldn't be Christianity or, you know, any other sort of the basic well, faiths think, that we understand right now because those are so, like, it is clear. It's, you know, there's no, you know, wishy-washy or maybe possibly, like, it's like, no. God existed. God made us. That's it. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that you could have. I think they did it really well on Firefly with Shepard Book, where they were like, they, you know, they didn't get into the that aspect of him. They, they, there was a Christianity and a spirituality to him that was related to the Bible, but then that was a part of his character. I'm not saying that I wish that they had chakoted you know, chakoted a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu onto the show. I mean, I don't, I don't think they should have. But if that was like okay, I'll give you an example. You're an X Men fan, right? Yeah. Nightcrawler wanted to be a priest. Oh yeah, I know. He's and like, spirituality and, is like a big and, part of his character. Now he's a mutant. He's been to space. He's met Norse gods. He's a swashbuckler. <laughs> sometimes, so, sometimes he's a he's he's a ladies' man. He is conflicted within his faith, and conflict right. is interesting stuff. And and to have somebody who deals with that in their faith, to, to have those questions, to have that, that someone who's taking that journey, even when nobody else is taking it with them, I think that's that could have been. It's an interesting part. If, if well, I if, guess I would say if that was, tr but I guess the difference is in, in the case of because the Bajoran, the, the Bajorans didn't bail on their faith when they realized that other people were, uh, other races were around. I mean, their faith adapted. And as a, as a Christian, I I don't know that I would be down with going, okay, that is what Christianity is about. But as a storyteller, because I can separate those two sections of my brain out, as a storyteller, I can go, okay, then say Christianity evolved, you know, cyber Christ or something. I mean, I mean whatever it is you're going to do. But have it, I think it would be interesting other than than generic Chakotay faith. Um, well, that's what, so that was the issue I had with Chakotay, right? Like, I, again, and I'm not, necessarily, you know, atheist myself, and I certainly, you know, I'm all for anybody believing what they want to believe, um, but I feel like it was, so, it's just a hard sell that this guy is this ultra-traditional, you know... That's, that's the words that I did, um, I wouldn't want them to be, I would want it to American just... American Indian faith sure. that doesn't make any sense for him to bend in space. Like, um, it just doesn't, and I think that's the problem, and I think if you... The difference with Nightcrawler is he doesn't have any control over the fact that he's a mutant, right? Yeah. And so that's a a really good source of conflict for him, you know, having really sort of strong faith and 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 that really fucking with him and causing conflict. But I think more importantly, the the key difference and and the thing that would need to be worked out is the fact that he doesn't like everybody isn't going to space. Right, like it's circumstances through the fantastical yeah, even, stuff that the X Men do that winds up giving him a bigger understanding, sort of, of the universe. But like we're talking about the entirety in Star Trek. By the time we are exploring space, 
Well, and aliens like are living in, on Earth. Aliens are on Earth. We've that's got that. aliens on Earth. We've got us in space. Like, so I think, the, the so, landscape so, has completely changed, and I think the place where you could have some form of um, of religion that continued to evolve and and maybe become a little bit bigger to include more of a universal approach instead of like just Earth, right? Um, I think that the the place to have done that would have been on Enterprise because I it's in the beginning, it's early. I would have um, liked. I think it would have been interesting to see on any of them. I think Voyager actually would have been a great place for it. Um, but the characters would so. have. Oh, the characters would have have to been different than they than they were. I just think that that that. Well, I mean, if you're talking about having some sort of conflict with that religion. I guess I I well like I, it I would think... make the most sense if we've got somebody who is you know was maybe raised with a certain religion, which I think is is valid and works. In, in the universe of Enterprise because it's the very early days. It's their, they are the first deep space exploration mission, right? Um, so you would have that conflict of, I was raised to believe this stuff, um, and up until now, I, that hasn't really been challenged, but my career path has led me to a place where I'm winding up with the opportunity to be on this ship and go out into space, and it's like I don't know what to do with that. Like, there's part of me that's intrigued by that because you've got sort of a scientific mind sure. um, that's intrigued by that stuff and winds up in space, and and which and is why trying I to reconcile that with religion. I just think that's the only time. It which is why, which is why works. I, which is why I think um, it would have done on any of the shows really, because that is, you know, that if Star Trek is speaking to the you know, al allegorically to the to the human condition, right? That's what it's doing. Mm -hmm. There's this aspect of the human condition that exists. I'll bet it exi it existed for Jesus's followers, like 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 it existed all the way back. It, it existed all the way back uh, with with King David. You know, thousands of years before Christ. It, it was it was like like there's the world, and you're dealing with the world, and the world is not what your brain says it should be, and the conflict of that between that and faith. Um, like I said, Shepherd Book I think is a wonderful example where there he is on this ship full of thieves that's doing all this stuff he considers to be bad stuff, and in the very first episode he's like, I think maybe I'm on the wrong ship. <laughs> um, uh, and on Voyager he would have been stuck on that ship, which I think would have been interesting. Um, yeah, and, and I think if you'd had a character like that who like I think that you know that wasn't that's what I'm saying. Like the problem is that everybody in, in Star Trek is on like this is their career path. Like they went to go be in space, right? Well, I know, Whereas, I know. I mean, there there are plenty. I know, I know. You know, a bunch of of Hindu and Muslim doctors and and Jewish and Christian doctors. I mean, it's like there are people who study science, and part of the human condition is is rectifying where you're going to stand. Whether that means that you stop believing what you believe or you keep believing what you believe, rectifying where you stand in your belief structure with your experience of the world. That is part of the human condition. And it's a part of the sure. human condition. I wish that they they started to explore, I guess, kind of okay sometimes with Worf, um, and somewhat with Kira's relationship with Kai Wynn. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was interesting. And and Star Trek usually used aliens to to explore, explore that. that I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, because I think if if you were gonna do it with humans, yeah. as we understand them, that we have come so far, and and beyond sort of the Bible, right? Like, think about how old the Bible is now. Sure. Right? Yeah. Now let's go thousands of years into the future. And or four, 400, but yes. 
you know what I'm saying. Like, let's go many hundreds of years into the future and and completely change our understanding of the universe. And I guess there's a way that some version of that remains, but I think it's hard for it to uh, on a global scale. I guess that's my point. Like to have pockets of it, maybe to have random people. Well, and that's what it, I that's what I'm saying. But that's I, what I mean by like globally, and then much like, and I'm not and I'm not saying globally. There's a global religion, but I think it's I think you're right that what you would have is like right now you like the major religions of the world are separated out geographically into different right. sections of the world. Um, and I think you'd have even more pockets as you have aliens moving to the world. And I think you would have, for instance, I think you would have the the Lutheran planet. I think I think that's out there somewhere. I think you know somewhere they're like, you know, we're gonna come move to our little planet. We're gonna be. There. I think that you know maybe it was too volatile a subject because that's the other thing. It's easier to deal with it within Klingon lore. Um, oh yeah, because at that, that point now we're not pointing fingers. We're not saying yeah. you know. Christianity is silly. We're not saying that Judaism is the right way, and we're not. You know what I mean? Like it gives them the freedom yeah. to explain. That's, that's why true. I think I don't know that I feel like Roddenberry was necessarily. I mean, I guess unless he said that, but like I never got yeah. the feeling watching the show anyway that it was about being, um, you know, against religion. That it was about being atheist. I don't want to say. I don't I, say, I got right, the so feeling yeah. that it was like those are two separate said. things, though. There's like like it was atheist, but not against religion. I guess like what I'm saying, like, I they, I feel like they've always explored that in ways, right? But that it was like they stayed away from exploring it with us, right? Because well, I think it's easier I, to, to use allegory and, like you said, like, we, you know, everybody can can calm down and we can... Yeah, well, like, and I think, I think that the, the, you are right that, that it is still a show that is trying not to piss off sponsors. So you know it when it you know when when it's December and you're showing your your season finale while the Christmas trees are going up and your season finale is and by the way Jesus was a an alien invader or something you know like like right. I think I think you're gonna have you're gonna have the groups yeah people you know, upset and, and this way oh, you yeah. don't you can still explore like is that no I guess you're right the, the I guess what Star Trek did so well was use for the stuff that was going to be the hot button issue, they didn't have it be the humans. Yeah, we um, have that be aliens, yeah. and we can and, and and again, like I said, we just raise questions. Like I feel yeah. like that's the thing that I love about Star no, Trek. Right. They never tried to tell you what was what. It was just like this happens. I guess you're that right. makes that's you a, think about some an shit, and then you have these conversations like you and I do about what that's that means, and you know, it's an interesting take. I wanted to have time to talk about your wonderful trip, um, and we'll have to save that for next week. Because uh, I am way super late. Um, and oh time. no! I am personally out of time. Um, but uh, but suffice to say, teaser for next week. Where did you go? I went to Georgia. And what's in Georgia? The Enterprise. The Enterprise or the Farragut. <laughs> the Farragut. Or the I guess it's the Farragut technically. Um, but when I'm standing there, I feel like it's the Enterprise. You will all see it when the movie is done, which it will be done. Don't worry. It's being honestly, worked on. It will be. It will it's, be. Done. It's being worked on. Um. But I want to hear all about that next week. But this has been, um, uh, I here want to peek behind the curtain, uh, internet audience. We did a God conversation once um, about our fourth or fifth episode of Trek Off, and buried it because we got really, really into it, like an hour and a half into it. And when it was done, we both decided this is not. We we like it's not really a show. It's just you and I having a debate. It's just you and I having a debate about religion um, and stuff. <laughs> um, so it's it's been. I think this time we struck the balance. I think this has been a wonderful discussion. I I it, maybe not the funniest show we ever did. 
but, <laughs> but a but a good show nonetheless. I'm proud of it. Um, so thank you, those of you who uh, who who've gone on this journey with us. Um, we'll be silly and poop and dick jokes next week. <laughs> <laughs> Promise. Way to just raise the bar. I guess we better start the whole show next week. Like poop, dick, fuck, damn. Uh, so nothing, <laughs> nothing but wangs, wangs everywhere. <laughs> It's going to so, be really filthy, apparently. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so that's it for Trek Off. My name is Justin. And my name is Alexia. Trek Off. Trek Off, bitches. You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to Geeks Radio radio.com or searching geeks radio on itunes geeks radio is a presentation of endlight entertainment